Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi, Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing, from Kabbalah and the healing of your soul to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past, from ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you on your journey to heal yourself, discover your soul purpose, and live a soul-centered life. And now, on to the podcast. So welcome to The Defiant Spirit. I am Rabbi Baruch Levy, Rabbi B, and I am honored and privileged that you have tuned in to my second episode of The Defiant Spirit. The Defiant Spirit is under the umbrella of Soul Centered, and as you know, Soul Centered is a center for spirituality, meaning, and healing, co-founded by myself and my wife, Ariella Halevi. And oftentimes we do podcasts together. And sometimes I'm doing them now um, on my own under the Defiant Spirit, which I'll talk more about. Ariella has her podcast and will continue to um, try to bring you the best of what we have to offer. And for me, the Defiant Spirit is the best of what I have to offer. I shared with you in the inaugural flight the first podcast of the Defiant Spirit. You can listen to it just prior to this one. I shared with you kind of the basic tenets, and I'll just sum those up, and then we'll get into this second episode. The Defiant Spirit um, is built around two of my, not only primary passions in this life, but um, my philosophies and how I guide people, how I've lived my life and how I guide others. One is Kabbalah, which is the Jewish mystical foundation of, um, of my life, spiritual practice. You don't have to be Jewish to appreciate and, and get to the heart of Kabbalah, just like you know Zen Buddhism, you don't have to be Buddhist. And, and even if you're Jewish, you don't have to be um, observant. So it's a philosophy, it's a way of, of understanding the world. I, I look at it as um, a roadmap for personality, the character, the self, the soul and blueprints of, of creation. It's very sophisticated thinking person spirituality. So really um, foundational in the Defiant Spirit. And then inspirational and, and practical is the story example of Dr. Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning and 30 some odd other books, uh, founder of Logotherapy. I am a logotherapist, meaning-centered psychotherapy and Holocaust survivor. So the Defiant Spirit is built upon his example of having survived and um, and transformed darkness into light in the Holocaust in so many different ways, which we'll be talking about, and the system of logotherapy and the practical application of transforming our darkness into light. And I love logotherapy because it was born prior to the Holocaust. Dr. Frankel was a psychiatrist and um, practitioner, medical practitioner prior, but it was really certainly proven within the Holocaust, withstood the, the horrors of it. Now, sometimes people will say to me, but I, you know, speaking about themselves, haven't and won't have to be in the Holocaust, and thank God, and that's true, but what Dr. Frankel would say, and what another teacher of mine, Edith Eager, another Holocaust survivor and logotherapist would say is, but you have your 
particular personal concentration camp. And that's what I want to talk about in the coming episodes is our concentration camp, not a Holocaust, but certainly suffering is suffering, right? There's not, there's no such thing as the suffering Olympics. Dr. Frankel's was his and yours is yours and mine is mine. And when you're in suffering, when you're experienced in darkness, you ultimately are reduced. We talked a little bit about it last um, conversation. The reductionism of logotherapy is that the world around us will constantly and continuously attempt to reduce us, reduce us um, and our, our, our power, our ability to, to effectuate change in the world, to, um, to overcome our circumstances, right? When you go through one of these periods of suffering, these experiences of what Kabbalah will call darkness, and I'm gonna talk about, you feel this kind of crumbling, being reduced, being helpless, being hopeless. Everybody goes through it, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship or the loss of a profession or the loss of a calling of wanting to do a profession or your kids go off to college or you're entering retirement or you're in retirement or physical illness or somebody else's illness. I mean, there's a thousand different ways we experience the darkness and when that comes, we feel reduced. We feel less than. We feel lost. And so this is about finding our way out of the darkness, finding our why, which is really what the defiant spirit is all about. Dr. Frankel called it the defiant power of the human spirit, and I just reduce it to the defiant spirit. It's in you, and we've got to discover it, to awaken it, to live it, and to uh, give it. That's the work we're here to do. So in the second episode, I want to talk to you about one word, the most important word in our language, why. I'm going to talk about this word why and why it's so powerful. I'm going to share with you a little bit about my why as it relates to the why of the defiant spirit and then ultimately and most importantly to discovering and articulating your why. So let's begin with the Kabbalists, the mystics. There's a Hebrew word, uh, lama, not like in the animal, but lama is the word for why or what. But essentially in Kabbalah, it's the same thing. It's this primal question word. And we have, you know, why, who, what, where, when, how. Did I say who? Um, lama is like all of those things in into one. But we'll, we'll say what or why. And the mystics teach that there is no journey, there's no certainly spiritual journey until we can say lama, till we can say why, till we can say what. Why is that? There's a, a famous um, physicist, Isidore A. Rabi, who said that the most important thing his mother ever did for him as a child that turned him into the physicist um, was to, when he came home from school, his mother didn't say, did you... Um, did you learn anything today, right? She would say, did you ask any good questions? And he said, in that understanding of the world, he changed his life because he understood the power of questions. And the mystics would say, until you're asking questions, there's no opening. You're a closed system. You have the answers. You know that person, right? That pain in the ass. 
where it's not a dialogue, it's a monologue. You're being talked at. Maybe you've done that. I've done that. Certainly, I'm a rabbi. Like, we're almost expected to, and it's very hard for clergy not to talk at. You gotta work really hard because, you know, clergy, judges, doctors, professionals, when you're revered in that profession, you start believing your own, can I, can I swear here? Yeah, I can, it's not uh, public television. You start believing your own bullshit. And you start believing you are the minister, you are the pastor, you are the rabbi, you are the doctor, as opposed to that's what I do. And I, I don't have the answers, I'm not God. And when you start forming your identity around answers and not questions, you become closed. So the mystics say all spiritual traditions began with a what? Right? Abraham, not having the answers, open to the possibility the divine comes to him and Sarah and says, Lech lecha, go forth. Right? And he's open, which is why he made the journey. And, and the Buddha, um, before he was the Buddha, Sakyamuni, who, um, who was asking questions, why is there suffering? I want to experience suffering, going out into the world. And Jesus and so forth, all of these great mystics began with opening to the possibility, to the unknown. So we have to start there. And, and the best English word I can find is really why, right? What or why is, is the sky blue? Right? Kids are great at this. Why, why do we eat candy on Halloween? My, my kid asked me, I'm like, I don't know, but I can Google it, right? I don't know. Why is, is why do, why do, why does Donald, the hair, Donald Trump's hair defy gravity and the wind? Right? Well, why do bad things happen to good people? Don't you love when kids ask these questions? Kids, they, they just, they're annoying, right? But it's holy, it's beautiful. But if you do have a toddler, you know exactly, but why, but why, but why, but why, but why? And we can really crush that why, that what, that those questions. Or we can be like uh, Isidore Rabbi's mom and to foster it, to nurture it, even if it's annoying. But it's more annoying, it's infuriating when nobody asks questions. You go to a cocktail party, you go to somebody's house, you're with your in-laws, right? And they're not interested in you. I've had that experience. Nobody's asking you questions, you're asking questions, and nobody's asking them in return. There's a loneliness to that. There's a closedness. There's a lack of relationship. So ask the questions. Be open to the possibilities. Start with why. Simon Sinek, great, uh, great book out there by Simon Sinek, a business author. Start with why. But this is not his idea. This is an ancient mystical idea. All journeys begin with why. He does talk in his book about the importance of great leaders and great companies, not addressing what they do or how they do it, but why they do it. You've got to know your why. We're going to come back to that. And there are deep consequences for not knowing your why. I saw this firsthand growing up, which is why I have created and live by the defiant spirit. Let me tell you about what happens when you don't have a why. Now, this is an extreme, just like the Holocaust is an extreme. But we look at the extremes so that we can back off of that and say, look, I don't live in that extreme. But if it's true in an extreme circumstance, it's even more true. Not that something can be more true, but it's it continues to be true in a, a less intense or severe circumstance. So let me tell you about my family's extreme circumstance. Now, I won't go too deep into it. I wrote about this entire book called Spark Seekers, Morning with Meaning, Living with Light. Um, I've, I've spoken about this many, many times to the point where a congregant once told me to stop talking about it. Um, and that's my 
family's legacy of suicide, which I inherited. And it goes back at least two generations. I have a sense it goes back further, as these things tend to do. But uh, mine, for me, started when I was 15 and a half years old. I came home from school one day. I remember the exact day, the exact time, the exact experience, even though it was 30-some-odd years ago, more odd than some, some than odd. Almost, no, yeah, 30, I guess 35 years ago, almost to the day. Um, I got home from school, and my mom and I had all her friends over, and I knew something was wrong. It just felt out of the ordinary. I went inside. She told me that my grandma babe, my, my paternal grandmother, had um, killed herself, completed suicide, and I jumped in my car. I had a permit. I wasn't supposed to, but I drove across town, and I was the fourth person on the scene. My grandmother had shot herself. My grandfather found her, called my father. My father called the paramedics. And when I got there, the paramedics had just taken her away. But there were remnants. There was blood on his shirt, on the ground. I could just kind of, at least I think I remember this, this pungent smell. But what I remember most of all was my father. My father was crushed, as one can understand. Um, but it wasn't the... It wasn't my grandmother's suicide that really shattered him. I believe it was what came out of his mouth next because he grabbed me. I just unleashed something within him. I think he'd been holding it together to see his son, his firstborn. He grabbed me, held me tight. He pushed my head into the nape of his neck and like I had hair at the time and his hand was in my hair just squeezing me lovingly but very firmly and he screamed. It scared me. I was 15 years old. He's terrifying. Why? Why? I mean, he just kept saying, why? Why? And those words just burned into my psyche, into my soul. I can hear it to this day. It's just remarkable how we can carry these things with us. But I say this because I just wish he would have actually asked the question, but it really wasn't a question. It was a why with an exclamation point. It wasn't an opening. It wasn't a, it was a, why did you do this, right? Why did she do this? And we'll talk more about it, but these unanswerable questions, not a, not an opening, but a closing. It wasn't a true why. And I know that because then he just, my father went through this process of being reduced, back to this idea of reductionism, his world growing smaller, growing darker, throwing away his business, his, his marriage, his friendships, his community. And 20 years later, as you know, my father um, followed in his mother's footsteps and killed himself. He completed suicide. He took his own life. And during this time... I watched my dad come undone. I watched my dad, whatever the opposite of a journey is, I watched him growing stagnant and stale and closed and smaller. And I, I just remember believing that there had to be another way. So I started as a 15-year-old best could. I, I was pudgy. I was um, not real athletic. And I took control how I knew, which was to start working out. I started becoming a bodybuilder. I became a bodybuilder. I was really passionate about taking physical power. That's all I really understood at the time back. And it was amazing to me. Like I got attention and, and I just felt like I was I had autonomy, agency in my life. 
that only lasts so long. And, you know, by my late teens, early 20s, it wasn't enough. I started listening to self-help, motivational psychology, philosophy, Earl Nightingale, Wayne Dyer, um, um, Napoleon Hill. I mean, the list goes on and on. Because I really wanted to take the reins, not of my physical life, but of my, my emotional life. To have what Tony Robbins called Personal Power, one of the first books I read. And that served its purpose up to a point and then I needed more and I moved into more of a, a mental intellectual pursuit I, I studied philosophy right always kind of asking and trying to answer the question why 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 life what's the purpose and so studying philosophy in college western philosophy and then and that didn't feel like enough and then I went on a spiritual why quest of went through a lot of isms I went through Buddhism the long and continued to this day to um, practice Buddhist mindfulness meditation practice daily part of my life and um, Hinduism yoga um, shamanism Ariella introduced me to a lot of other isms hedonism that was the most fun I'm not sure how much I actually learned quite a bit a lot of what not to do all of which were really why questions and, and attempts to answer and I never found a an answer because there isn't an answer there is not a path to truth there is the truth with a capital T and there are many pathways to arrive. So what's important and what was important for me on the journey was over the course of the past 25 years, I have articulated my why. I, I literally have articulated my why. About 15 years ago, I committed it to pen to paper and I wrote it and then I drafted it, redrafted it. For, but for almost 15 years, I've been reciting it two to three times a day. I try and do it um, in accordance with the um, Jewish prayer cycle, which is you're supposed to pray three times a day. And I don't crack the uh, prayer book anymore since I retired. I really have created my own path. And part of my path is to recite my three paragraph why statement. But here's the, the heart of it. I say this every day. My purpose for being here is to serve, protect, provide for, honor, and love my wife, my children, my family, my friends, my community, my clients, my country, my tribe. My mission while here is to inspire and empower, empower others through speaking, writing, teaching, guiding, leading them down the path of vision, integrity, courage, compassion, honor, hope, responsibility, and truth. It goes on from there and began prior to that, but that's really the heart of my why. When I'm lost, I articulate my why. When I'm scared, I articulate my why. When I'm making mistakes, I articulate my why. Why do I do that? Because in the words of Frederick Nietzsche, who Dr. Frankel quotes often, he or she who has a why to live for can endure any how. How do you get through the hell when your mother uh, complete suicide, when your father completes suicide, when your loved one dies, when your marriage is empty and comes undone and falls apart, you get divorced and you're diagnosed. And I mean, the list of darkness descending into our life goes on and on and on. And we are going to talk about it. How do you deal with that? You've got to know your why. And if you know your why, You'll, you'll figure out, you'll endure the how, but it starts with why. Do you know how many people I ask this question to who can answer with a why, exact why, articulate their why, like specifically their why? Very, very few. And I'm talking about business owners, right? People don't 
own a business without a successful business, certainly a scalable business, without a, a mission statement, purpose statement, knowing their why. Again, Simon Sinek talks about all the great companies. Apple doesn't sell you computers. Right? They sell you think different. They sell you a way of being in the world. That's what Apple devices you know, supposedly do. At least that's their mission to sell you not what, but why. Just go down the list of Martin Luther King, right? Martin Luther King didn't give us the I have a plan speech, right? I have 10 points to civil rights and equality. No, he's, he said, I have a dream. He sold us, and sold us is not the right word, he inspired us with a why. Great people inspire with a why. But what's your why? When I ask these business owners, they have it in their business, they look at me almost with a blank stare when it comes to their life. Why? Why do you exist? And I'm asking you, brother, sister, why do you exist? Why are you here? What's the purpose of your life? Now, it's just going to be easy to result to cliches, right? I'm here to love and be loved. I'm here to love my, my wife and my children and my family and to provide. And that, that obviously, that's beautiful. And that's taking responsibility for your life. And that is a why. But when you're on your deathbed, I think of this, Tuesdays with Maury. Um, if, if I'm going to die, and we'll talk about it in the next podcast, I, I can only know for sure that I will die. You know, there's this stupid, like, debate, not debate, but uh, kind of a, if you're smoking too much of the funny stuff here in Colorado, you might have this conversation back in college. Would you rather die, like, in a plane crash just exploding and you're gone in a second or a long drawn out process. I've always wanted to die in a long drawn out process. Partially, I think it comes from my dad and my grandma because there were no goodbyes. And I would want the time given the, the opportunity to say goodbye. Now, it's easy for me to say, who knows when I'm in it, but I guess I'll, I'll let you know, God willing, not for some time. I want time, I want process. But if I'm laying there on the bed like Tuesdays with Maury, let's say you have ALS, you know, your body shuts down, but your mind doesn't. What am I gonna be thinking about when I can no longer change my circumstances, when I can no longer interact physically with the world? I'm gonna have my thoughts. Well, what's gonna be in my head? I want to be able to think, right? I want to be able to recall. I, I'm always impressed with my Christian friends who can quote, quote scripture, I, I can quote, you know, a verse here and there, but Jews don't quote scripture so readily, so easily. It's not how we're taught. I can quote some good works of art up into a point. Um, I can probably sing you the entire song of the love boat or um, Three's Company, which is tragic, but I can't recite much of any Shakespeare. But I can recite three paragraphs of my why and you know what I do when I'm scared? I already told you. I just recite it. I, I think those are going to be the last words out of my mouth when I die. At least that's my intention. You know, I have the Shema, which is um, the Jewish Lord's Prayer. You know, you'll have the Lord's Prayer, the Shema, or your religious line or two or paragraph. But we should have our own prayer, right? We should have our prayer. We should have our why at our fingertips to, to just real you know, off, or to rattle off at the, at the drop of a hat. I can't tell you how many times it has given me energy. It has given me kind of a jolt, a, 
a, um, a nudge back to my path. It has reminded me of my purpose. It has kept me from straying, or when I have strayed, it has brought me back. It has given me hope and direction and, and this, this sense of ruach, the sense of spirit and power, which we'll be talking about. You got to know your why. So that's my challenge for you in this podcast is to start thinking about your why. Start committing that why to paper. I'd be happy to help you. I work with almost all my clients. We end up writing a why. More importantly, we end up um, living the why. And, and that why can adapt and change over time. But in my experience, if you're filling it in too narrowly, then it probably isn't so much a why as it is a how. Um, so it can adapt and change. But as I think back on my life, from the time I was a 15-year-old boy watching my father come undone until this very moment in creating the defiant spirit, uh, my why really has been the same. And that why is to figure out my why, to live my why, and to empower and inspire others to discover not my why, your why, and live your why. And that's the defiant spirit. All I've done is woven together great wisdom traditions, again, Kabbalah and Frankel, Logotherapy, and other examples of the defiant power of the human spirit in the Holocaust and throughout history, Mandela and King and other examples for us. Um, other great traditions, as I mentioned, I am not exclusive. I am a open um, fan and I call myself a spiritual mutt of best practice wherever it comes from. So certainly drawing from other traditions, but primarily again, Kabbalah, Logotherapy. Because I believe if my grandmother had understood Frankel's message of the defiant power of the human spirit, she would have chosen life. And I believe that if my father would have um, engaged in the defiant spirit process, he would still be in this life. But they're not here. And so my work has become to carry on the light, not the darkness of their legacy, to bury the darkness and to carry the light, to hand it over to other people, to help you defy your darkness, to help you discover and live your why, to help you discover and live your light and your life. That is the defiant power of the human spirit. That's what we're going to continue to explore. Thank you for tuning in. You can shoot me an email at Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H, or just be at mysoulcentered.org or jump over to the website. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to work with you. We'd love to help you find and live your why. Until the next time, Shalom, Salam, Namaste, and peace. You've been listening to the Soul Center Podcast with your hosts Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcentered.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at My Soul Center. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you shalom, salam, namaste. Amen.